Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two with Chris Tyrrell from Tyrrell's Winery in Hunter Valley, Australia. Now, before I get into what this episode is all about, I want to let you all know about the People's Choice Podcast Awards that I was asking you all to vote for uh, going back all the way to August, I think it was. Well, because of all of your energy and, well, the actual votes. (laughs) I made the shortlist and then the final voting actually just happened on the 30th of September. Now, as I've surprisingly been rather efficient this last month, by the time you listen to this episode, it's going to be the end of October. But I wanted to thank you all for your support as I didn't win... Turns out that the winner has won the last four years in a row. God damn it. Uh, But I am there in the top 10 for all to see. So that is because of you. Now, back to what you're going to learn from Chris today. So we're looking at Syrah from Hunter Valley. And I'd say Syrah, even though most are calling it Shiraz there. But it's not anything like you would identify as an Aussie Shiraz. So take out all those thoughts of what a Barossa Valley Shiraz tastes like. These are incredibly different. Different from all Shiraz and Syrahs around the world. Now, we are going to be talking old vines. Tyrrells has some of the oldest vines in the world. And in fact, you will learn they might quite possibly have more super old vine single vineyards than anyone else in the world. We will also be chatting about the fires, about vintages, and going into far more detail in general about the Hunter Valley wine region. We're also going to talk a little Chardonnay, as that will complete the trio of their focus for grape varieties. So let's go to the rest of the chat now. What I would like to do now, I would Mm -hmm. like to talk about the actual climate in Hunter Valley. Now, on the previous, in part one, we have already touched on a bit of the humidity and the heat, but this is a very interesting climate. This is kind of, can you describe this as subtropical in a way? Yeah, you can. You can, yeah. yeah. And it's weird. And I think this is the great thing. Like if you started today, you wouldn't pick the Hunter Valley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it doesn't, it, no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. Doesn't right? make sense. And yeah, it's summer dominant rainfall. Uh, you know, it's a bit hot. Like in this day and age, you want to be as cool as possible and dry summers and wet winters. And yeah, but we've got what we've got. Like I can't pick up and move my business to somewhere else and, and all those things. And and we make these amazing wines. And you know, a leopard can't change their spots. So I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world, but um, <laughs> certainly by the laws of viticulture in 2022, you're, you're not coming here. And um, which is just quite strange to think about in many ways, but so to directly to us, so we're about, um, about 45, 50 kilometers from the coast here. Mm-hmm. And we've got the great dividing range to the West. So we're against a mountain range about one hour North. You've got um, Alp- a rainforest into Alpine. So you've got the, what we call the Barrington Tops, which is one of the highest peaks in Australia, about an mm, hour okay. north. So okay. you can get you can get you can get snow there in like the first weeks of summer. 
and it can be like 35 degrees here. Fascinating. It's crazy. Wow. And then, okay. And, and then you've got the coast. So you've kind of got all these little things mashing together and we get our cool mm-hmm. breezes from the south. Um, but by and large, you'd say it's subtropical due to the humidity. But we our average rainfall is not super high. It's only about 750 millimetres a year, but it's the timing. You know, we, we it generally, comes at harvest, doesn't it? <laughs> it comes when you don't want it. And not, not every year, you know. No. We, we went through a really um, long spell of drought, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, where we were getting like 200 mils, 300 mils of rain a year. Which oh, wow, is like okay. Just disgustingly low. Uh, but ever since then, it hasn't stopped raining. So we're, we're in a, they're, they're talking about another La Nina event here this year, which would be quite frustrating. But we've got really these sandy soils. It drains pretty quick. Um, you know, we, we get by. We get by. But, um, you know, more often than not, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, we get these warmer days in summer, but cool afternoon breezes and cloud cover. So you don't get that searing sun on the vines. Mm. So you don't, we don't get the shrivel in the reds. We don't get any of that. And in the morning, everything kind of looks a bit fresher because it's a bit, it's been, it's a bit more humid at nighttime, you know. But that increases the ripening speed at the same time. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting place, uh, and you don't really kind of figure it out till you get here. And then once people get here, they never want to leave, which is which is uh, which is nice. Well, they, now that you never want to leave, is that because of the the beauty? Is that because of the fact that, you know, you're two hours north of Sydney, that you can get to the mm-hmm. beach obviously quite easily. You can obviously go hiking in this mountain range that's just an yeah. hour above. Is that because of all the activities and stuff? Or is it, you know, what does the landscaping look like? It's a good question. Um, and I think, so yeah, it's it's like just gentle rolling hills you know mm. um there's all of these uh these spurs that come off the mountain range and in between those there's these sandy flats and more often than not the reds are up on the hill and the, the whites are down on the flats mm-hmm. and you know there's a because of our proximity to sydney this you know you could argue you know sort of sydney's playground in that sense there's really good <laughs> restaurants here there's a couple of really good golf courses here you got the beach just down the road um yeah, it's it's a it's a great place, and there's always it's one of the most visited regions from a tourism point of view. So it's always busy. There's always stuff happening. Uh, you know, they quite often there's a a big winery down the road that has a lot of concerts. So Elton John plays there, and like big international oh, wow. acts coming. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, okay. it's pretty big, and um, so there's always something happening. It's so much different to when I was a kid, though. When I was a kid, there was hardly anything, and when my dad was. Like my father remembers getting electricity. He used to ride a horse to school. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, yeah, it's come, yeah. it's come a long way, uh, but it's it's a pretty amazing place. No, and so obviously you said that there's been lots of years of drought in mm. Hunter Valley, and now now yeah. you're on the other side. But so, yeah. what have been the best vintages for you? So I think that's a that's a good question. So best vintages in terms of the end wines, or best vintages in terms of the season. Because sometimes, you know, in this game, sometimes you need the marginal years to make the best wines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be very good surprises, can't there? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I think, but for me, I think there's a golden little trio of uh, 17, 18, 19, which were mm. really good white and red years. They were, they were just really, really good. And it was a bit like uh, 05, 06, 07. But in terms of the, the absolute standouts for me, uh, for Semillon would be 2005, 6, 2009, 13, and 22. 22 okay. is going to be great. Yeah. Mm, and for, and for Shiraz, Shiraz is uh, 18, 14, 
nine, seven. They're, they're the ones in my life that, yeah, and we were talking about 2018 and the Reds not long ago. And my father said, uh, you know, I'm lucky I got this at the end of my working life. You're, you're unlucky because you got it at the start. You're forever <laughs> going to be comparing to that. So, um, yeah, so they, they'd, be, they'd be the ones off the top of my head. Yeah. No, it's interesting because it's just nice for people to then, if they, if they see that vintage, you know, to, to give it a go yeah. and see what they think. So what happened in 2020, though? Because there was fires, right? Yeah. Did that cause a massive problem with the wines for you? It, it did. It did. It caused, um, it was, you know, losses that, that we'd never had before. So mm. so we, we'd come off three and a half years of drought and the expression, it's a tinderbox, uh, was pretty right. Like you could just tell, and I've grown up in the country my whole life. You can tell the summers you're going to have fires, but that summer, it felt, it felt like that for a couple. So yeah. you just knew it was going to, it was going to be a bad one. And all mm. you needed was was something to start in the wrong spot. Yeah. And there was fires in New South Wales, which is our state, for four months, nonstop. Oof. Yeah. Wow. So we had more or less had smoke, pretty bad smoke in the air, pretty close by. So the closest to fire, we had no direct damage from fire here. So the closest mm-hmm. fire was still 20 k's away. But it was just that smoke hanging taint. around. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Look, and it was pretty pretty demoralizing. But I think once you get past it and we made the decision like, okay, we're pretty screwed here. <laughs> Let's just get on with life and treat this as a learning experience. Yeah. When you're not trying to salvage everything, it's a bit like coming to work each day and another nail's in the coffin. Mm-hmm. Like we'd, we'd done the research, we'd done the work with the Wine Research Institute that we knew we weren't going to make premium wines anymore. So I was actually really proud of all of us that we actually, you know, that might end up being one of the most important vintages ever because we've learned so much. Yeah. And next time, next time it happens, we're going to, to know what we can do to maybe salvage more of our $25 range. Like our, the wine that we sell as a current release that people don't age. You know, we could probably make more of that. We could have made more of that. Okay. Um, yeah. You all need right. to, we weren't, we weren't willing to risk anything, but I think what we've learned as, as our own region, I think we'll, we'll last for, for generations, you know, and I think the whole region came together pretty well. And uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult, but hey, that's, we're in farming. It's emotional and it's yeah. a roller coaster and every year is, I mean, I think that's the beauty in a way mm. that you can't take anything for granted. And, you know, mm. we talk about vintages and actually, I, you know, I, I play the game and I probably shouldn't, which is like, you know, are there really good vintages and bad vintages? Well, yeah, there's a, it depends, doesn't it? You know, because that's as right. you said, sometimes the worst vintages can actually, the product that you do produce ends up being electric could be that's right and sometimes you, you need the you need the light and shade and you need all of that stuff right you need the good and the bad um but yeah it was 2020 was tough but we forgot about it really quickly because oh we sorry sorry for, in, <laughs> sorry bringing it up <laughs> no 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 we were, we were in lockdown like two yeah. months later y- yeah so i was like oh fuck we've got big issues we got proper issues now all of our customers are closed you know so <laughs> yeah in, in, in a funny way we had a year with really low turnover but yeah. with a year with really low production costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, if it's ever going to happen, like maybe that should have been the year it happened. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. But that's okay. Like there's always next year and that's the, the we just keep doing this thing because next year is a new chance. So that's mm. what we keep doing. 
Yeah. And I mean, let's talk about you and your winemaking experience, because of mm-hmm. course now you are chief operating officer. Did you make the wines in the past, or were you involved in actually the winemaking at Tyros? Yeah, yeah. So I worked in the winery um, full time. Uh, so my first vintage was two thousand one, but then at that I just left school and uh, was doing a bit of study and whatnot, and was living in Sydney, and then. Mm-hmm. I started working in the winery full time. So I would come back each year and do, you know, three, four months, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I, then at which time I did a bit of other stuff for Tyrrells, like in the sales and marketing world, which I was terrible at. And then, <laughs> um, and then I think you sound like you've well and truly got it now, but eventually you get the bug, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. I might have it. If, <laughs> and even if, even if yeah, it's a family business or not, it's probably harder if you're in a family business, to be honest. But I started working in the winery full time from in 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. uh, and then was yeah part of the winemaking team for a good decade, and then sort of in the last five six years have gone back to just working in the winery sort of that first four months of the year, like get through the vintage period, mm-hmm. and then kind of step out and sort of oversee the vineyard and oversee yeah the winery and, and all the operational side of the business. But so I still get to keep my hand in it. Yeah, do you miss being right in the middle of it? Uh, no, because I'm still in there <laughs> a fair a fair bit. You know, we're in there all the time. But you're still I, getting I think, dirty. Oh yeah, and working working in the winery during vintage is for those few months each year is enough to um, keep your head in the game and get get away. You don't sit near a computer for three months. It's great. It's mm. like a working holiday. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, a I, hard I, I love it. Working love holiday. It. No, it's not hard. It's great. I love it. It's oh. the best time of the year. It's the best time of the year. So, what's your favourite part then? of the harvest and the winemaking process? Uh, I think I probably enjoy, for just from a purely selfish reasons, um, probably the red. Uh-huh. Because I, th- I think the ferments are a lot smaller. There's lots of them. Whereas with Samalon, you know, like I said, there's not much you can do. You fill a tank and you, <laughs> Poor you, fer- <laughs> you ferment a big tank and you go away. But I think with the reds, uh, you know, there's so many little individual batches and they're all mm. their own little thing and you get to do pump overs. Like there's just they're a bit more involved, you know, physically yeah. and visually and all those things, you know, it's just more fun. Moving the wine around, submerging the yeah, cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The smells as well, right? Yeah. You know, as this red fruits hits you and then yeast the yeastiness when you walk into a winery during harvest time. Yeah. It just smells like like raspberry yogurts. <laughs> yeah. And, and quite and quite often I get to do a lot of it on my own. Okay. Red, so uh, so because I live on site as well. So as the the harvest is coming towards the end um, and we're off doing other things. I can just, or on the weekends, I can just, I do it all myself on the weekends most of the time and like towards the end and that sort of stuff. So it's quite enjoyable. And they're Good all like, who yourself. did who did the punching down? Uh, not me, not me. Um, no, no, um, no, no. I was no, watching no. TV. Like who's moved no. the great here? <laughs> <laughs> no, never. It's, no, it's all very much a team effort here. Oh, so you live, you said actually, well, before we started recording, yeah. you're like, did you say 200 metres away from the winery? Yep, yep. <gasps> I'm so jealous. That's amazing. Is, and is the winery surrounded by vineyards? So I've got a vineyard that my great grandfather planted about 50 metres from my house, 20 oh. metres from my house, maybe. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so we're surrounded by vineyards and, and the winery's down the hill. Yeah. So, like when you're getting out of the bed and you open up the curtains in the morning, you just look out and you're basically, you live in the vineyards. Yeah, exactly. It's great. <gasps> I totally can imagine. Oh, okay. Right. Now, you said that you like the reds. So I think 
I think it's time to talk about the Reds. And I think, have you been tasting? Yeah. Have you been drinking? Did I hear you I'm, having a little I'm sip? Just fi- I'm just finishing my first glass. Yeah. <laughs> so it's time for me to try the Reds. So um, is, yeah. I've got the Hunter Valley Shiraz 2019 and also same vintage, but I've got the old Hillside Vineyard. So yeah, we're going to talk about both of them. Can you just, yeah. comp- how is Shiraz in Hunter Valley? I know we're not supposed to compare. No, <laughs> to Barossa right. Valley because of course everyone expo- expects big bold black fruit spiciness chocolatey nature from Barossa Shiraz yep. what do you get what should people expect from Hunter Valley well in many respects it's the opposite if they're the black fruits we're more the red fruits if they're mm-hmm. more about um, say the the back end of a Barossa line is always about the tannin and the weight from the alcohol uh, you know, usually with Barossi, you're looking at well above 14, up to, you know, sometimes really high. Whereas the Hunter, the back ends, the tannins are more soft and savory, and it's about the acidity is the backbone, not the alcohol and the tannin. Mm-hmm. So our, our, our wines are going to be more so in between 13 and 14 rather than 15 north, etc. Um, yeah, yeah, I can that's see. That's not saying one's better than the other. It's just saying they are what they are because of where they're growing. Um, and I think our wines uh, have always got, like really good freshness and brightness, and there's some similar, there's some similarities with the Semillon. Like I said, the the acidity is the backbone of these wines, like it is the lights. And mm. I think in many ways, our Shiraz don't always look Australian. Well, you were mentioning that it was was it the Shiraz that mm. people were labelling as Burgundy in Hunter Valley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so again, it gives people an idea that this is. Uh, fresher, lighter, maybe earthy style. Yeah, and I think um, in some respects, it's kind of like a a mix of, I guess, when I taste these wines sometimes, it's a bit like Pinot meets Shiraz meets like a really modern, bright, juicy Grenache, maybe a dollop of like a bright, juicy Italian thing. Like it's kind of, yeah. It's, Ooh, it's a, it's, I, yeah. I, I see you on this kind of bringing in mm. some Grenache and yeah. Yeah. If Grenache, Pinot, and yeah. Shiraz had a baby. Um, had a baby. There, is, yeah. there is a lot of red fruits in this. So everybody, I'm drinking the uh, Hunter Valley Shiraz. So to give everybody an idea in the UK, uh, Vinum is doing it for just over £17. Noble Green Wines is doing it for about 19 So this is the kind of price point we're, we're looking at. And yeah. the nose is really kind of raspberry and red plums, but something mm. like a little bit grilled. And I'm surprised, I just quick sip, I'll go back in a mm. second, but how like kind of cranberry it is and a bit spicy, yeah. soft, it's savory, right. quite easy drinking and definitely medium bodied. So it's like, oh, definitely this is, bodied. this is not, this is not a Shiraz like Barossa at all. I love this it. Is, this is, this is not your parents' Aussie Shiraz. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, it's, it's that medium bodied elegance, but again, plenty of flavor and lots of stuff going on. You know, they're pretty, mm. they can be complex wines without being too, too complicated. Yep. The tannins are medium, but they're very soft. Mm. They're almost mm. like they're nice and velvety. I love the earthiness to it. There's like a little bit of yeah. kind of grilled, gr- something grilled meat on the on the nose. But again, mm. taking me to that kind of, I can see that Grenache edge. But this is yeah. this has has more richness for me, um, and, and and there is a bit of darker fruit still. Yeah, and I think the way we make them, we really lean on that. So 
We use a lot of really large format Oki. We don't have any mm-hmm. Barriques, so a 225 litre. Everything we use is 2,500, 2,700 litre, so big oak. Yeah. And, and not much new oak. And the winemaking's all whole berry. We don't crush anything. Uh, our extractions are, well, they spend a longer time on skins, but we're not pumping them over excessively. So we try and soften the extraction, but have them on skins for you know, a long, longer time than what we would have used to have had in the, the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so and all of those little things are really highlighting that fruit brightness and fruit purity because I think there is a danger sometimes with these that you can make them pretty dried out and pretty tannic if you make them, you know, if you, if you work the skins too hard when they're only medium-bodied wines anyway, mm-hmm. as, you, as oh, you're definitely. seeing right now. Mm. Yep. Lovely, great fruit concentration, but again, fresh and lively. It's interesting when you say that, you know, you come from a warm climate. Yeah. This is, you expect then high alcohol, chunky, but quite clearly the humidity, the slightly gentle sea breezes, the cloud cover, hmm. the rain, all of it actually really acts in a fantastic way to keep everything yeah. fresh. It's it's intriguing. This is a really interesting experience for me because I'm going to openly admit, and sorry if I, if you hate me now, but um, I've drunk a lot of Semillon, a lot of your Semillon, mm. but I don't think I've ever had Shiraz from Hunter Valley. Well, here we are. That's great. You have right? now. This is I have now, and I am I'm I'm shocked at one how mm. different it is. I'm. I mean, I'm not surprised by the quality because you guys know what you're doing, mm. but I'm just, I can't believe the fruitiness, but the restraint at the same time, the mm. fruitiness, but the earthiness, it's just, it's brilliant. Um, so mm. then I, so I want to then compare this then to the old hillside Shiraz. So I'm assuming now this is, so we're single vineyards. Yeah. We're much older vines now, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, well, not actually not much older. So the, the Hunter Valley, which for a better term, uh, let's call it, uh, you know, our regional blend. So that comes from mm-hmm. about uh, probably six or seven blocks on the estate. But the average age would be 40 or 50 years old and probably two or three growers that we buy before we buy the fruit. But then that old hillside vineyard is, like you said, that single vineyard, but it's from an A-grade, like a proper A-grade site. And the average age is about 60 years for that block. Okay, this is divine. Mm. Obviously, everybody, yeah, this is good. a little <laughs> a little bit more expensive. I know that you, mm. c- I can't find the 2019 yet online because I assume everyone is still finishing off with the 18. But um, as you, yep. if you've been listening, Chris has already said the 18 was a phenomenal vintage. So apparently you can get that from uncorked at about 30 pounds. I, I think that, that 18, I'm going to butt in, that 18 old hillside, Shiraz, yeah. is like pound for pound, one of the best wines we have ever made. Oh, okay, everyone, get to uncorked now. Then. I personally kept um, two hundred and fifty bottles of that. Oh my god! Can I, so so when I come to visit, you can crack one yeah. open, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and about and about fifty magnums. Yeah, I love that one. Oh well, this knows on the two thousand and nineteen. So at least people have something to look forward to when we do run out of the eighteen. Also, also a really good vintage nineteen. Yeah, is so it's really concentrated. Whereas the other one was kind of medium, medium plus intensity. This is hmm. really pronounced on the nose. Yeah, you're still getting loads of the red fruits. It's like really like a uh, a reduction or a concentration of strawberries hmm. and also some kirsch. It's really 
it's really coming out of the glass. Definitely the Kirsch thing. I can, right? I can, in this vineyard, you're always verging into like mm. Kirsch and yeah, more of the cherries. You're kind of getting away from the raspberries and yeah, it's, mm. it's a little bit darker and richer and um, there's a bit more limestone over there. The soil's a bit darker. It's just, it's a really good site. But it's also really earthy and then with this kind of like perfumed white pepper lift, the nose... Is there's a lot going on in the nose, mm. and that smell. What's the chemical compound? Um, petrichor. Like when the rain hits the mm-hmm. earth, <laughs> that those first few drops of rain, that smell. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's lovely. No, it's funny. Still, I would go medium bodied, but yeah. it's yeah. more. It's it's got more concentration of fruit. The, the tannins are like more powdery almost. Yeah. Really coating, so a little bit more t- um, tannins, but they're really, again, so well integrated. And I mean, are you using oak? Because this this is really more about the fruits for me and maybe a bit of spice. I'm not. It's in oak for about 15 months. That's in newer oak than the last mm. one, but that would be, uh, that would be, say, four or five of those. No, no, probably only three or four of those casks. So the, the Fudra, the 2,800 litre, and say two of them would be new or one-year-old and two of them might be three four-year-olds so like not all new oak but those big barrels they sit in the background they're not at the forefront which is what we oh, want totally loads of mm. delicious black plums loads of cherries almost a little mm. bit there's a, a floral nature but no for me a touch of spice almost it's really yeah. all about the fruitiness and it's very smooth but it has obviously a little bit more um a little bit more tension, a little bit more grip yeah. than the yeah. other one. There'd be a bit of whole bunch in that one uh, compared mm. to the, the first one. Why? Okay, question. Because yeah. a previous episode we were talking with Jamie Good and part of the conversation was talking about whole bunch versus destemming. So just bringing it back, you said, okay, you did a little bit of whole bunch in this one. Mm. Why? Why did you do whole bunch? What did you feel was the benefit of adding in some whole bunch? Um, I, I kind of think it brings an, just another layer, another dimension to, to mm-hmm. the lines. And, and I think you can sometimes run the risk of these not being simple, but, you know, like those bright summer fruits, bright acid. And we like to just build a bit more layer and a bit more texture. And mm-hmm. I think just a little bit of stalk does that in the right vintages. Yeah, so okay. So definitely, definitely in the warmer vintages, uh, we use them a lot more. Mm. Um, and this would be... A natural ferment whereas the hunter valley the, the blend would be because it's growers fruit or some of it's machine picked etc we'll usually just knock that on the head with yeast and so there's just a few other things that play in this one okay. and i think i think the the natural ferment that pre-ferment time you have on skins that cold soaking longer period they don't get going for you know five six days sometimes but you can just you're building in layers of of complexity along the way which, mm. which i quite like Oh, it's absolutely delicious. And actually Mm. part of, within the old hillside vineyard, am I right, Mm. there is the old patch, as you call it. And there is that specific part is used for its own Shiraz, right? Yeah. So basically, if that's a, if you can imagine the side of a hill, um, it's not, it's not a very big vineyard, but in the, just at the bottom of it, there's a, a section which is called the old patch, which was planted in 1867. Really, really old vines. So we bottle mm. that on its own. Um, and wow. it's a pretty special wine. If you can imagine the one you're drinking now, just like with the amplifier turned up, 
but also in some ways it's more powerful but it's, and it's more elegant like at the same time mm. yeah it's it's a pretty cool wine yeah so for anybody who's interested in that i can see it's you can get it around the 100 pound mark i'm just looking online now you've got many 100 points the score 100 <laughs> points from james suckling on this wine this is yeah. the most award-winning shiraz wine presumably yeah yeah it's uh it's it's, it's pretty nice it's, and it's like the similar conversation because of the the low ph the good acid all those things we've spoken about before they, these wines live for decades mm. you know, and we know that because they're in the cellar and we could pull them out and drink them <laughs> and yeah it's, it's it's an amazing sight and i think shiraz here had a weird period so if you go back 15 20 years like when i first started you couldn't give away hunter valley shiraz because everyone really? wanted that was like that no but that was like Aww. peak robert parker no no yeah. it was peak robert oh, parker okay. and people that and they just, you know, they'd say, this is rosé with bad colour. Um, no, they wouldn't say that. They Ouch. Didn't say that. But, uh, no, no, no. But, you know, they weren't, they weren't what people were looking for. But Yeah, they were too light in comparison to the big, bold, 100-point yeah. Robert Parker wines, right? And, yeah. and now we have many of our red wines have waiting lists and they're all pre-sold. Mm. And I think that's the winemaking hasn't really changed. That's the market has changed. Yeah, yeah. And I think this day and age, people don't want... Well, some people, there are always, always going to be a market for big, massive reds. Okay, don't get me wrong. But I think by and large, people are drinking more medium-bodied, food-friendly wines. And particularly where we are here in Australia, it's bloody hot. You're by the ocean. We have a lot of Southeast Asian influences in our food, all those kinds of things. And the last thing you feel like is a big 16-alcohol, 100% American oak red. There's a time and a place for that. Don't get mm. me wrong. But I think what we've seen is a huge uptick in people wanting wines like this. Huge. Mm. Mm. And um, you caught me off. I'm too busy drinking. The old hillside vineyard is 13%. So the the one before 13.5, but this is 13%. So it's a lunchtime wine. (laughs) Well, you can drink a second bottle. Precisely. And that's what we need to do, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you can think about a second bottle. (laughs) You'll still have your integrity and your mind with you after 13% bottle to think about buying the second. So let's talk about old vines for a second because... I yeah. think we touched on the fact that, you know, anyway, Hunter Valley has some of the oldest vines in the world because you don't have phylloxera. And the fact that these grapes basically came across to Australia in the 1800s, right? So yeah. how many plantings do you have of, of old vines? About 90% of our land holdings are vineyards over over 35, let's say. Yeah, which is a pretty, I mean, exactly, yeah, because there's no definition for old vine, is there? But yes, no, no. definitely um, it qualifies really at 35. But okay, yeah. in terms of like the super old stuff, oh, probably 20, 20% of the, the land holdings, but uh, mm. like what I'd call like super ancient. But we've got nine separate blocks over 100 years old. That's incredible. Isn't that one, amazing? Another one comes in next year. Oh yeah. my God, what a jewel. It is amazing. I think there's two things at play here. One is these are, you know, vineyard treasures. These are not found anywhere else in the world, you know, really. Mm-hmm. They're not in this concentration. But secondly, let's be realistic. Like, just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't right? mean that, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and what I mean by that is I think great old vineyards would have been great young vineyards. And there's yeah. a reason why at 20 years old or 10 years old they didn't rip it out, put cattle back in there or rip it out and put another variety in, whatever. So... That they would have always been making good wines, and it's just that sight, you know, this, which is what's what I find amazing. And 
I think what old vines brings us is in many cases, they're not the heaviest wines. They're sometimes lighter. But I think what the beauty of old vines is the vintage variation graph, the peaks and troughs. It's mitigated a lot, isn't it? It's Mm. squished together. It's a lot flatter. And I think in the hot years, it handles it. And in the wet years, it handles it. And they're just, the chemistry is just impeccable with those old vines. Rather than like the fruit looks better and it, like, the, yeah, they taste better, but you know, it's just the how they handle the conditions is the big thing. So, we make of those nine, eight of them are bottled as a single vineyard bottling just from those hundred year old plus vines. And I'm not sure there's another winery in the world that does that many. That's so exciting. As individual bottlings. So I don't know if there is, it's a job for us to do, but... Um, wow. Yeah, so, and again, we, we think it's important. You could, don't get me wrong, you could blend all the Shiraz together and probably make a really nice wine, but it's not as interesting. Yeah. And I don't think then you're doing the right thing by, you know, first generation, second generation that did the hard yards and went through all those early decades and they're seriously important and we need to shout from the rooftops about how important these are. Um, and so for everybody, go to the Tyros website so you can see mm. all the different single vineyards and uh, decide mm. what you'd like for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now you're talking. Are you doing some single vineyard old vine chardonnay? We do. So because- HVD has chardonnay on it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because this is also, apart from Shiraz and Semillon, chardonnay is also your other main focus variety, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Do- Again, is it fair to say that the Chardonnay in Hunter Valley compared to other places in Australia or is fresher, less alcohol, savoury? Um, interesting. That, that, I'd say no. It's Well, not oh, no, but okay. I, I, in summary, I think Hunter Valley Chardonnay, you've got to be really careful from a production point of view okay. because... It can get away from you really quickly in a ripeness level, and then you end up with this big tropical, disgusting, ugly thing. So you've <laughs> got to you've got to be really on the ball. And I think okay. hunters are probably in the more powerful spectrum, probably a bit more like Margaret River. Okay. Whereas, mm-hmm. so if you've got Margaret River and Hunter from a density concentration level at one end, you've got Tassie at the other, and then in the middle you've probably got Yarra, Adelaide Hills. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's, that's a okay. very broad generalization. But I think Australian Chardonnay is in a really good spot at the moment. Yeah, okay. And are you yeah. putting oak on your Chardonnays? Yeah, yeah. So just yeah. nothing that you wouldn't hear from every other winemaker around the world. So, yeah, French oak breaks and, you know, a lot of natural ferments and, uh, uh, you know, a, a bit of batonage and all that. Yeah, like nothing nothing crazy. Standard Chardonnay practice? In a complimentary way, yes. Not boring, <laughs> but yes. yes. Sorry, did I yes. just, like, completely diss your Chardonnays without realising? No, 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 Not no, no. no they, are, they are what they are, yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, we were going to have a Chardonnay to taste, but um, there was a little mix-up. So we shall leave that for today, but uh, we'll keep everybody just intrigued that they need to go and find their Chardonnays themselves. Now, seriously, I want to come and visit you now. I want to do this vertical. Well, not a vertical of vintages. I want to taste all the different single vineyards together. I mean, it would be fair. It's the the only way to do it, right? (laughs) What what do um, my friends at Brokenwood, when they do a big tasting, what's their name for it? When they taste all the single vineyards vertically and horizontally. Horizontally, yeah, exactly. No, no, no. They, they call it, what do they call it? A verizontal. 
Or ver- oh, I love that. <laughs> or ver- no, vertizontal, vertizontal, whatever it is. Ver- I don't know. Verizontal, vertizontal. I want that. I want it. Um, and yeah. really, but it just, you've got so many amazing wines. So for anybody traveling to the Hunter Valley, we obviously, first of all, two hours from Sydney. That's super useful. Yeah. Am I right in thinking, I think I saw in the news a few years ago, there's now a new flight path between Adelaide and you? And Newcastle. Yeah, so oh, Newcastle. And Newcastle. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where's Newcastle in compared to... Uh, about, about 50 minutes. Okay. Would that be the nearest airport? Yep. Yep. Okay, fine. So people could either go from Sydney to Newcastle or Adelaide to Newcastle, right? Yeah, but most people coming into Australia are going to come through Sydney, so... And then yep. just drive up for two hours. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you guys do in terms of people coming to visit I mean are there tours every single day do you take people out in the vineyards yeah we, yeah, we do tours we can if you uh, there is a, a level of tour where you can people will walk you into the vineyard and, and look if, it, if it's a quiet day in Celador and there's not people everywhere then they'll walk you as far as you want to go you can walk so we've got a the working winery like our winery is right next to the Celador essentially so mm. like if I if I'm in there working or if someone's in there working the Celador crew will usually just stop and we'll take over and have a chat and show them stuff out of barrel and all that stuff. Oh, it's a, you know, stuff we're a family business. It's pretty... Love it. Well, if, okay. if, you, if you turn up on the right day. <laughs> Everybody just <laughs> right? turn up a few days in a row and you'll get there. It's like That's the Northern right. Lights. Keep going out yeah. and you'll get what you need to achieve. Put it this way, there's not much wine work going on a Friday, so you probably want to be on a Monday to Thursday uh, <laughs> in terms okay. of see, see, see winery action. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, and look, we, we don't have a restaurant. A lot of places have got restaurants. We... Not that there's anything wrong with having a restaurant, but we kind of um, wine's our thing. Yeah. And where the winery is, all the original, really old vineyards are literally on the other side of where you park your cars. So it's really close. To be honest, yeah, we haven't actually touched on that because actually you are in the lower Hunter Valley, right? The majority is in the lower Hunter Valley. And then, of course, yeah. there are specific regions. You are in the, do you say Pokolbin? Pokolbin, yeah. Pokolbin, oh my God. So yeah. you're in Pokolbin. And basically, well, yeah. actually, that is the real heart. Like, I looked on a map yeah. in the World Atlas of Wine, and basically yeah. every vineyard, every winery I've heard of is in Pakolbin, right? They're all right next to each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's the Napa Strip, basically. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to come, they could do a whole day of just... Uh, do, there's not a train, is there? Is there a wine train, a tour? No, there's not a wine train, no. Not yet. No. Not and, yet. And, and we don't have we don't have sexy names like the... Route de Grand Cru or whatever. Um, out the main road that that drives through is uh is Broke Road, and it's Broke not broken, road. don't worry. It's called Broke Road, like financially, Fine. physically, whatever. <laughs> it's just Broke Broke Road. Yeah. As long as the wine ain't broke, we That's are right. fine. That's all we That's need. Right. Oh, Chris, thank you. Thanks for just giving us a bit of an idea and actually for introducing me to your lovely Shirazes, which has been a really new experience for me. I kind of feel like, my God, you know, I've been in the wine world now for, I don't know, 12, 13 years. And there's still so many wines that I have not discovered properly. It's shocking. But I try my best. You've ticked one off your list tonight. And that's all for this morning for you. This morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just getting ready to go. I know that you've got some wine poured. So enjoy your your final glass or two before you go to bed. Yeah. And, um, and we'll chat again soon, Chris. Yeah, lovely to chat. Thank you very much. And uh, happy to come back anytime. And, and chat again. Perfect. Take care of yourself. Thanks very much. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye bye. And that is a wrap. 
So I shall, of course, leave you with a wine quote. And this one is by Irish author Oliver Goldsmith. And in his book, The Vicar of Wakefield, he says, I love everything that is old. Old friends, old times, old manners, old books, old wines. And for the purpose of this episode, I shall also add on old vines to that list too. Right, so next week, make sure you tune in because I have a good wine friend of mine who is very well known, certainly in the UK. He, as a stand-up comedian in an earlier life, is a wine educator, wine merchant now, and his ability to inspire people into the world of wine, to make wine fun, to engage people. If people think I have a passion in wine, wait till you listen to Lee Isaacs. So next week, he has a real soft spot for Argentina, But I can only imagine that has just spilt over to the Alps because every time the two of us talk about Chile, it is non-stop. So I have asked Lee to talk to us about the many amazing regions and grapes and the associations doing incredible things. So I actually don't know which order I'm going to be releasing in. So I leave you with a little bit of suspense. Either next week, we will be discussing Carmena, the great variety of chili and its history and where it's going and its nuances and where you can find it. Or I might release the one further down in the south of Chile where we discuss the association's Vigno movie, where we talk about Pais, the original grape variety that came to Chile, and Carignan, and Maule region, Netata. So get yourself ready. The next two episodes are on my beautiful spiritual home away from home, Chile. In the meantime, a really big thanks to all of you for your support. It really does mean the world to me. And if you could subscribe, like, leave a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that really is going to help share the wine love. So dream big, all of you. Drink well and sip back and relax. And let's all reconvene back here next Monday. Until then, cheers to you.